Well, welcome back, everybody, to another edition of TopHeavyweights.com, the podcast. I am your somewhat capable host, TJ Reeves. He is Sean of TopHeavyweights.com. We are excited to be back here because we have heavyweight results. We've got historical perspective. We've got, wait a minute, what's that in the distance? We have got an Alexander Usyk, Anthony Joshua unified heavyweight title fight in the offing still to come next month. We hope, we think it's going to happen. Uh, Sean, good to be back with you off of a Derek Chisora win of note this weekend in England uh, and much more. How you feeling as we come back in on the podcast? Feeling great, TJ. It's always fun to be here and it's good to see you. Always good to see you. Want to tell you straight ahead in a moment or two, we're going to welcome in for some organic conversation about the Chisora dis, uh, decision win over Kubrat Pulev. David Payne will be here, a.k.a. the Boxing Writer, boxingwriter.co.uk. He's the Boxing Writer on Twitter. Uh, love David's insight from over in England. We've been going to him for the better part of three-plus years on the Big Fight Weekend podcast. By the way, that's a good time to mention you need to be following or subscribing to this feed, the Big Fight Weekend feed, because you get programming just like this, topheavyweights.com. When Sean pops on with me, we're on semi-regularly every month right now. Sean puts up with me at least a couple of times a month right now to come on and talk heavyweight boxing. If you're following and subscribing, do so on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts, to this Big Fight Weekend feed. You get the automatic top heavyweights alert notification uh, when it is out a couple of times a month. So we do that. We say that. Again, we'll hear from David in a couple of moments. Just as a quick comment uh, from you, uh, I was wondering whether we would have some fireworks in that fight. We actually had some action in that fight that ends up being a, a Chisora win. I know we're going to talk more about it with David in a minute, but we at least had some action in that fight. It was two heavyweights coming together. They were top 20 guys. They delivered. The crowd had a good time. I was watching it with excitement. I thought it was great entertainment. They both gave it their all. I can't see any reason to reduce it in terms of athletic demonstration or sporting significance. How significant it is to the heavyweight division at the top, that's another story. Yep, we'll be talking about that, obviously, with David coming up. And we've got some other heavyweights, as we mentioned in the offing. Uh, Adam Konofsky will be in action uh, coming up at the end of this month, who, again, he's in a career crisis situation here where he's got to get a win later in this month uh, in the United States in Brooklyn after a couple of losses to Robert Hellenius and has even has even admitted hasn't been in great shape, hasn't been enthused about training. He's got to show something. So that's a guy down the road yeah. that we're interested in, obviously, Sean, real quick yeah. and seeing what he can do. Right. Sure, it's going to he's going to have to do it in front of his hometown fans, too. Uh, and we will find out if he can uh, be in good enough shape and look good enough, or is it is it one of those that just before the pandemic, Robert Hellenius exposed him, beat him, then beat him again in the rematch after the pandemic crisis of uh, of 2020, and then uh, that is that well, is unfortunately virtually it for Kanavsky on the biggest stages. Well, he can't get back well, there. I don't know. Styles make fights, and Hellenius was a counterpunch, hard-punching counterpuncher, and that's the worst thing for someone like Kovnaki. He's fighting Ali Aaron Demarejan, and this guy has only got one defeat. He beat um, Gerald Washington badly earlier this year. He's on a run. He wants to use Kovnaki as a stepping stone, and Kovnaki wants to demonstrate that against a guy like Ali Aaron Demarejan, who it's not it's a pretty good comeback opponent. He's not taking an easy fight. This is, uh, this is a big one, and... Uh, it's uh, now or never for for either of these guys. If Demarejan does a number on Kovnaki, he's in the game, and we're going to be talking about him a lot more. Uh, but if Kovnaki does a job on Demarejan, then the jury's still out, but he's going to have another kick at the can. 
All right, some interesting stuff in the nostalgia that we love as well on TopHeavyweights.com on, on not only Sean's site, but also here on the podcast. We're going to go back in the Wayback Machine for Jersey Joe Walcott, becoming at that time the oldest heavyweight champion ever in this time period all the way back in the 1950s. Then we're going to come forward. I think it's fair to say that the first riddick Bow andrew Galata fight is much more famous than anything they did in the fight for what happened, Sean, after the fight that we're going to be talking about later on here in the podcast, right? Unfortunately true. Yeah. yeah it was it was it was in fact a great fight. It was very entertaining, it was dramatic, it was shocking. No one no one could believe what was happening it, as uh, as some have said it was the emergence of of this new force in the heavyweight division. It changed the perspective uh, on the entire division. Uh Galata lost by disqualification after hitting Bo low twice or more times mm-hmm. and um but what happened after the fight as we know uh galata was sto- his corner was stormed by um riddick bow's uh, entourage some of them they stormed they hit him with a phone over the head and uh a melee broke out and then a riot broke out in the arena and that went on and on and on and it was just unbelievable ugly crazy ugly. crazy yeah. scene and yet it really happened and it's still out there and we're going to talk more about it as the podcast unfolds to that end what do you say we get to a special guest, Sean? Shall we do that here on Top Heavyweights? You like that? We good? Why not? Let's do that. Let's go, as I like to say, transatlantic. As I mentioned, I look forward to whenever I get a chance to bring this gentleman back aboard, even on the topheavyweights.com uh, podcast here. Have been talking for several years now to David Payne, and he still returns my call, Sean, uh, from England, from the UK, still returns my email, uh, my messaging to come aboard. I said, I got to get some more insight on the Chisora win, what happens next for him, the heavyweight nostalgia. Good to have David Payne here with us. How you feeling, boxing writer? I'm very good, TJ. It's good to to meet up with Sean and yourself. Uh, good to be back on the pod always. And um, thank you for inviting me, of course. And we uh, should mention, Sean, at the time that we're doing this, David said, I have to put down the glass of Chardonnay. And what is it, roasted peanuts, salted peanuts? What kind of peanuts? <laughs> what kind of nuts? It was, it was uh, dry roasted peanuts. Dry so roasted peanuts and, and Godfather 2. He was having a little time watching a little reminiscing, watching a little Godfather 2 on the telly. Sean, uh, I don't know if you, I'm not a Chardonnay guy. I don't know if you prefer, uh, Sean, dry roasted peanuts with the Chardonnay or not, or if this is a British thing. I'm not sure, Sean. The dry dry roasted peanuts, absolutely. Godfather 2 for sure. The Chardonnay, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I don't. I don't like me being defined as a Chardonnay guy. I'm, okay. I'm not sure about. Let this. me back like, up. Oh my guy having you know? Chardonnay while watching The Godfather. Better definition. It sounds good. You're fine with that. Give better, it a try. Better defined on that. Enough of the talk about uh, beverage and snacks. Let's get to what Derek Chisora did on Saturday. David, give me insight. Sean, I want yours too. David, up first here, though. You're there in the UK. You saw this. Chisora wins over Kubrat Pulev by decision. First win for him in virtually three years for Chisora to finally get one. Uh, David, what are your thoughts having seen this? Um, it, it was enjoyable in a kind of perverse way because it, it was what it always was going to be to senior to be kind heavyweights with not a lot of form not a lot of future going at it and giving us the best that they've got uh it was the top of a pretty awful card um 
which you know is another story worth discussion sometime in the future um but we had a 41 year old against a 38 year old fighting for some sort of relevance as we've said i think uh Pulev had a, fo- a win over jerry forrest in the last however long but prior to that i'd got a pretty patchy and um uh, dormant history and chisora manages to maintain some sort of relevance despite losing um on a regular basis in recent years um and there was some concern that they are both pretty jaded figures um so in some ways it was a good fight for both of them um they were fighting to have some sort of future i think um was my reference uh, point on this fight but it was reasonably enjoyable um there's plenty of action in it um Pulev never puts enough on his shots, does he? He's a bit of a pitter-patter puncher for such a big guy. I, but I thought he won. I thought he won. I thought Chisora probably got a generous decision on this one, despite some very friendly commentary on certainly the um, UK side of of, of life. Um, and there seemed to be some concession to that by Eddie Hearn, the promoter of note in this, in this uh, particular fixture, who seemed inclined to believe that um, Jazor had got the benefit of the doubt here. Um, I'm sure he will parlay into something bigger and a bit more rewarding financially, but I do worry who that might be against. Um, I don't know if you want to me to keep going, but um, on the fight itself, it was a bit more enjoyable than I expected. The fact it was too old, heavyweight slugging it out, made me tune in if it had been too old. Like welterweights, I may not have bothered, but heavyweights seem to draw me no matter what. Um, and I quite enjoyed the fixture. Uh, what's next for the two of them? Um, we will see. Hopefully, there's a retirement or two in the not-too-distant future. All right, so more on that in a second. Sean, let me include you into the discussion because I have an opinion on this, but I want yours first. David thought that Pulev won the fight. What is your assessment? Do you agree that Chisora was maybe gifted a decision here because... It's in his backyard. What do you think, Sean? Well, I think uh, if the fight had been uh, an amateur fight, there was no doubt uh, Pulev won. I just thought that Pulev didn't put enough on its punches. A lot of them were thrown with the intention of landing, but not with bad intentions. And I thought he left himself open there. And he really, he had a responsibility. If he wanted to step forward and become a, a top 10 guy and force uh, an important fight at a higher level, he had to really do a number on Derek Chisora. And I think he was thinking he could... Uh, do solid enough taps. I'm not saying I could take them or anyone, but they weren't thrown with uh, knockout intentions. So I thought he left the door open there. And I thought Chisora rised higher than he was expected to, and he delivered more intensity, and he held it, I think, until the end as much as he could. And maybe it's a bit of poetic justice in the sense he got the nod. He did land the more telling shots. He's got the, uh, of course, he's got the photo that's uh, Pulev's face being disfigured with that big shot he landed, which is all over the place. And I'm happy for him. Uh, I mean, I don't want to see him hurt. Obviously, uh, age of heavyweights is a little different than other weight classes in the sense they can be quite competitive once they get into their late 30s and even early 40s. I thought it was the number 18 guy in the world against the number 12 guy in the world. I thought it was really entertaining. Everyone that watched it with me thought it was great, um, conferred with some friends. Pure entertainment. The arena seemed like it was having a good time. The drama- I agree with the commentary. It was atrocious. Um, but anyways, Chisora got the nod. I think if Pulev had gotten the nod, he would have probably been seen as a an easy mark for a, a top 10 guy or somebody who wanted to build their record with a less than threatening opponent based on how Pulev looked. Again, he's a big guy, but he wasn't throwing big punches. 
But Chisora has put himself in the in a good money position in the sense that he's a guy who's hyped his name. He's built a crowd. He's built a little bit of a hype there. New hype, fresh hype, which is incredible. And he could be on the platter for, um, I think, when you think about Deontay Wilder, and I know. Don't say you know, it. Don't say it. Don't say it. And I'm sorry. I saw, just so you know, for the audience on the yeah, podcast, yeah. we can see each other. And I saw David Payne cringing yeah. before Sean mouthed the name Deontay Wilder. But in fairness, <laughs> in fairness, back across the Atlantic, Mr. London, Chisora is the one that brought that name up and said bronze bomber in the ring. I don't believe that fight is realistic for political and promotional reasons, but Chisora obviously has it on his mind. I saw you cringe, David Payne. You don't you don't want to see that just because I'm, I'm, of concern of Chisora's safety if that right hand lands or what? I've thought about this a little bit, and I'm sorry, Sean, if if my face cut nope. across your your closing remarks there because uh, it's it's an entirely relevant um suggestion because as tj mentions it was the the go-to name for derek in the aftermath of the fight um i think just to pick up your thread there tj there is a sense that 38 years old and in many ways relatively easy to hit and has been hit plenty in his career to date someone like deontay wilder if we're to believe deontay wilder is preserved in the way that we know him best then it's a pretty ugly opponent for Derek. Uh, he'd have an enormous amount of reach and the power last thing to go on a heavyweight. So provide, providing Deontay is, as I say, structurally still intact, uh, mentally and physically from the Fury fights, then that's a very dangerous fight for, for, for Derek. Um, but that said, those comments I make about Wilder, as I said, I've thought about this, kind of almost make it interesting in the sense that we don't know what Wilder's got left at this point, do we? Confidence-wise, psychologically, all those kind of, we can all be amateur psychologists on these pods, can't we, when it comes to boxing. Whether he'll like someone who comes forward and doesn't give him the room to land those big long shots and um, and buries himself on his chest and let's fall into cliche and do all that good stuff. But I think it's an ugly. It, my heart says it's an ugly fight for um, for Derek. Um, I I agree with David on that point. By the way, it is an ugly fight for Derek. But if I were imagining, you know, we're talking about imagining what people think, the management, the people that are handling Deontay Wilder, even maybe Deontay Wilder himself, you couldn't ask because he's he's not going to come back against a top five or a top seven or a top eight guy. It's not going to happen. He's not going to come back against a dangerous top twenty guy who's on the way up. He's going to come back against a guy who's got credibility, who's got standing, top 15, top 16, whatever you want to say. Yeah. And he's got a fan base. That's huge. He'll bring, I mean, let's face it. If I would say, even though it's a, I was talking to someone about this, if they had Deontay Wilder's big return against Derek Chisora at Wembley or a giant place in the United Kingdom, I think that would actually sell really well. And I think the, the viewership would be huge on both sides of the Atlantic, for maybe for crazy reasons, maybe for reasons that the place is packed with a bunch of British people or uh, who are, are concerned about him but are going to be there nonetheless in some weird way. I just think from a management standpoint, I could see the PBC f seeing that as a good way for Deontay Wilder to come back. If you're looking at it purely from the De uh, Derek Chisora side of things, I guess it comes down to the paycheck and uh, it also comes down to how he feels in terms of what he can do. 
All right. So I don't know that politically it gets made. David and I have gone round and round about those reasons where you've got entities that just do not like each other, do not want to deal with each other. Who knows? Now, there is. It's interesting, David, that Dan Raphael, who's our content partner now on BigFightWeekend.com, he said, hey, my understanding is Chisora is on like a fight to fight deal with Eddie Hearn. It's not as right. if he's tied up future fight, future couple of fights. He could go and make a deal, for example, with premier boxing champions and come to the United States and fight him if he wanted to, if he wanted to. So I get the sense from you, David, though, you don't want to see that. If Chisora is going to fight on, give me a logical name. Give me somebody that you would like to see and is maybe realistic that would be in there with him late this year, let's say. Well, there's there's a couple of strands here. We're all agreed that Chisora's got some renown. He's got a little bit of name value both sides of the pond. Um, but what was interesting in this fight, um, my understanding is there was only about 7,000 in the arena. And I think there were some giveaways to get to that kind of figure. There was an awful lot of areas that you didn't see were cast into shadow. Um, so the notion that Chisora is a, is, a, is, a, is a big draw on his own. Against someone think, big. Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously Wilder would be a big name and I could see that doing uh, some good numbers, an O2 kind of arena and doing 20 or 1,000 with ease, whether it's a Wembley fight. Oh, all right. Perhaps I'm sceptical. Perhaps I'm I've been sceptical. No, no. I was sceptical about Fury filling Wembley, but he did it. Um, uh, so, yes, the right partnership could, could still be a big draw. Whether uh, Wilder Chisora in America would be a thing, not sure. Uh, Wilder returns, probably a big story, regardless of who he fights. With regards to who Chisori could do, uh, could go for, there was some sort of, we try to avoid these things, don't we, TJ? And I'm sure you're the same, Sean. Um, there was some sort of WBA uh, affiliation to this fight that we've just seen at the weekend. And we know that we've got uh, Daniel Dubois with yeah. some sort of WBA thing going on and so forth. So with him being on a fight-to-fight basis, is it impossible to imagine that we might get Dubois versus Chisora for some sort of WBA um, title? I There's so many of them. I, one I of could them, totally agree. That was the next um, thing. That, yeah. That's possible. Um, that's possible. And But I don't necessarily wonder whether that brings the same money or gets Chisora's juices flowing in the same way that someone like Wilder might. Um, he's about paydays now. He was honest enough to admit that. Um, and fighting some young buck... Um, rather than a wilder type, I could see he would probably jump towards the wilder one, I would think, despite the danger that's uh, that's included with that package. Sean, would that intrigue you, Dubois, Chisora, a little oh, bit? I, I'm a huge heavyweight boxing fan, so yeah, I'll be intrigued. But I would think of it as being either Dubois is completely exposed or Chisora is just badly beaten. You think it's that simple? That it just comes well, down to maybe an early night, no matter what, no, huh? Not necessarily. I mean, Dubois still is a question mark. Uh, we saw what happened against Joe Joyce, and um, I think Derek Chisora still has enough in the tank that if someone's not set to go into the top ten, they're gonna they're gonna find it. He's well, he is he is the world's number one gatekeeper. I, I think uh, probably the most successful journeyman in heavyweight. Well, I shouldn't say at that, least but he's, modern history. At least modern, modern history. history he's, he's, he's yeah, he's he's the guy that somehow the people that want to break into that top ten and top five they have to beat him. And he's, um, he's, he's certainly created it, his own niche. Um, yeah. And, and 
in some ways he, he comes out with surprising performances when perhaps you think he's already done. Um, and then in other instances, like the Pula fight in their first encounter that very few people recall, he was very disappointing. So he has been a real curate's egg over the last few years. Um, and the, the other one to throw into the mix as we're looking at possibilities, which was mentioned around the fight, was whether there's scope for Adillian White versus Chisora as a kind of comeback fight for White. They've got history, some very tight decisions between them and obviously the late knockout whether that could be a viable option, I'm not so sure. I think Do you want to a... see that? Again, you're closer to it than we are. Do you need to see that a third time, Chisora White 3? No. Did we need to see Chisora Pulev 2? Right. That was, uh, you know, we, we didn't really need that, did we? But um, again, if we're rolling through the possibilities of how do you sell 20,000 tickets in an economic crisis in the UK, Maybe White Chisora is a safe bet. I don't know. Um, and they're obviously promotionally, we've talked about fight by fight basis, but they're saying in the similar camp, aren't they? They're uh, they're matchroom led. So maybe, who knows? I know we're borrowing David on borrowed time from boxingwriter.co.uk as fine. part of the yeah. tophevyweights.com podcast. Hey, he may have another glass of Chardonnay and some more uh, roasted uh, peanuts before we're done uh, here. Uh, I, I don't, uh, I want to get into the nostalgic of the mayhem after the Bo Galata fight. We'll do that in a second. Joe Joyce's name. Again, you're there. Joyce unbeaten, number one WBO contender. Give me the educated thought on who might be next for him while we have you, David. Oh, that's a that's a real tough one. Um, one thing that you can say that's very true about Joe Joyce is not many people seem to want to mention him, do they? Mm -hmm. um, we can all talk about his limitations. We can all make jokes about his lack of speed. But none of the other heavyweights seem to want to mention Joe Joyce as a guy that they could fight to make a stepping stone to someone else or as a defence. They seem to step around his name, and that's because... He hits pretty hard. He's got a fantastic engine and he just keeps coming and he'll take a shot. And yeah. that's not something that many heavyweights want to contend with, do they? He doesn't quite bring the name value and the uh, pizzazz of one or two of his contemporaries. And therefore, he's not a risk to reward ratio that anyone wants. So it's all about um, being manoeuvred for Joe. Um, so it's, it's difficult to see what his next fight would be. I, I don't imagine that Tyson Fury is going to entertain that and that idea as a comeback i don't think he's afraid of him by any means but i don't think it tantalizes tyson fury does it um he wants that joshua Usyk winner i would imagine and he's hoping it's joshua um so i don't know where joyce goes next i think he's in a little bit of a holding pattern to get at that top two or three until some more fights have unfolded if you so could wave the wand who would it be realistically not just fantasy land who would it be for joyce next while he waits under that scenario um, that's a that's a great question. I think he's probably going to need to knock off some other guys that are already below him. If I'm honest, TJ. So, someone like you know, a fight with Dillian White might be quite interesting. I know you're a, a huge critic of Dillian White, but he's got some status and kudos that perhaps Joyce doesn't have, despite his last performance. Um, and it might be someone like. Marty Bacoli might be an interesting holding There's fight. There's a name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just got a good win over Tony Yoka. Similar sort of stature. That might be an interesting rumble. Um, 
those kind Auto, of fights yeah, like would Otto, be Otto Valin would be a good one for him. I think. Yeah, Otto Valin would be another one if he wants a big, tall opponent. A, a name I always mention, just out of tradition, really, is Robert Hellenius, as oh, just yeah. another mm-hmm. big, tall guy that he would probably get through. I would imagine with some credibility. So I just think those kind of top 20 guys just yeah. keep him ticking over to keep him occupied. Uh, at the same time, Sean, did you have a quick thought on Joyce? Who, if you could wave the wand, who would you like to see next? Oh, if I could wave the wand, it'd be like Frank Sanchez. That would be a great fight for him. Um, I think Barton Bacoli, I agree. Uh, obviously, um, Michael Hunter. Ooh, good. Yeah. Another day. I mean, it really comes down to him staying busy. He doesn't have enough fights. I mean, that's it. When they talk about him challenging for the title, my instincts as a heavyweight boxing fan going back and studying the history of the division is he doesn't have enough professional fights. He needs to build his record with another three, four fights against guys that are at least in the top 30 or top 25, top somewhere around there. But he has to build a hype. He has to build some knockouts and he has to build his name. I just think he's too underdone to be discussing any kind of a title shot with the actual titleists. Um, there, I have no interest in the rematch with uh, Dubois uh, right now. Um, I just think there's there's not enough fights happening. There's too many good heavyweights out there. And when I hear about rematches or, uh, or, or third fights, I think, geez, you know, we can't even get these guys together and they just want to keep throwing the same names at us. I, I think there's a yeah. potential there. Uh, but it, again, Joe Joyce made a great choice. When he fought Daniel Dubois, he, know he knew he was the B-side. He knew he was being set up to lose. He understood the whole thing was against him, and he probably took short money to do it. But he did it, and he mm-hmm. needs to do more of that. And he won, and it created and more he, leverage well, for him because he won, absolutely. and he won impressively. That's how heavyweights get to the top. They don't get to the top by being padded against easy opponents. They get there because they take the risk to be the B-side, to be that... It's not as much money as you want. It's it's a bit riskier than we want, but I, we can do this, and they go for it. And it's those heavyweights that break through into the consciousness of everyone. I think. Uh, right. Just to, to link the conversations, TJ. Sorry, I know you want to move mm-hmm. on to nostalgia, but it won't happen. But there's yeah. part of me that would like to see Deontay Wilder come back and do a little bit of the let's knock three or four guys out in six eight months rather than just look for one big tee-up fight. Sean Um, has heard me say this. I don't know that you've heard me say this. I am not convinced that he ever fights again at this point. I have heard, and for whatever it's worth, I have heard from a couple of different people, he is living the comfortable life. He may be training some and in shape, but he's living the I made 40 or $50 million off of two Tyson Fury fights life right now, and I don't know that he wants to fight anymore. And by the way, it is now the middle of July, and we still don't know if he's fighting this year, if at all, anymore. We'll see. But you're right. If if Wilder were to get back in there with somebody and bomb them, he's immediately back on the radar with everybody talking about who do we pit him with. But that has to happen first, boys. It, ha- it has absolutely. to, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, on the nostalgia front, Sean and I will talk more at length. But, David, I want to give you a chance to weigh in it is arguably the most known heavyweight bout, especially non-title bout, more for what happened after it than what happened during it, as we have just now passed the 26th anniversary uh, in this time period that we're releasing the podcast on TopHeavyweights.com, the podcast, um, of uh, Riddick Bowe, former Olympic champion, former undisputed heavyweight champion, and his battle, the first of two with Andrew Galata, the Polish at that time unbeaten contender, 
who was winning the fight but couldn't stop going, how shall we say, south of the border, kept fouling him with low blows and eventually led to a disqualification and a circus mayhem in the ring with punches being thrown by handlers, entourages, corner people, that is second to none. When you go back and watch, we can laugh about it now. Watch how chaotic it was, how scary it was. There were 12 people hospitalized that night after what went on in the ring after. David, with all of that blather and buildup, give me your thoughts looking back 26 years later, please. Oh, it's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's as crazy to watch back now and to and to think about. Um, here you've got a guy, Andrew Galotta, as you say, unbeaten at a time when we didn't really see Eastern European, Russian, Eastern European heavyweights in professional boxing. I think we'd had Alexander Zolkin uh, in a few years before that. Axel Schultz was kind of floating around from Germany. But this was a bit of a new phenomenon. And he was a, he was a big, capable guy. And um, he was winning. That's yeah. the thing. That's the thing that I always come back to. The guy was winning. He was beating Riddick Bowe. By some distance, really, Bo had no answers, didn't know what to do with him. And then he kept smashing him in the nuts. <laughs> just <laughs> and we don't mean David's just... roasted nuts and Chardonnay watching Godfather 2. No. Very nice. Yes. And Andrew Galotter is definitely not a Chardonnay sort of guy. Um, he's, yeah, it, 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 it gave way to a circus. And both guys have had the chaos about them, haven't they, for their entire careers. Um with Bo with a complete up and down and then the, just the, the the collapse at the end of his career and the repeated suggestions he would try and come back at however old he was and however damaged he was. And Galotta, lest we forget, if I'm not mistaken, went on to have four shots at the title in a row without winning one um, or a version of the title in right. a row. And also capitulated against Tyson for a no contest. Um, yeah, it's just... Fascinating characters. Uh, Galotta is someone I would love to talk to at some point, whether it'll ever happen, who knows. But yeah, just chaos. I know you shared with us just before we hit the record button, you actually brought this fight up because you are in contact over in Europe with some Polish either fight yeah, fans yeah. and or media members. And this is still talked about, you know, a quarter of a century later. It is, yeah. Um, a lot of the Polish guys that I um, come into contact with uh, – a good deal younger than me. Um, don't re don't have first hand experience. Don't remember this as a live event in the way that I do. Um, but he's something of a mythical character, I guess. They talk a lot more these days, and perhaps this is um, quite insightful. But they talk a lot more about UFC, etc. The Polish guys. Um, but I got chatting. We talk about Andrew Galotta, and they said, "Oh yeah, Galotta." I said he was beating Riddick Bow. I mean, Riddick Bow was pretty much the man, give or take, one of the best two or three at the time. And uh, I said, you know, some of them remember it. Some of them need to be pointed towards it. Um, just yeah, just incredible, just incredible that um, that it that he was winning. I'll come back to that. He was winning. This right. is not a desperate guy trying to get out of a fight. He can't win. He was winning and still kept whacking him to the nuts. Mm. What a night and, and what craziness uh, from all of that at, at Madison Square Garden. Where was the security? Where was the New York police? And, if, and I'm remembering this. The ring. It was crazy. Sorry, sorry, Sean, I'm dominating here. But um, oh, no, if, if I'm remembering this correctly, because it's a, it's a little while since I've watched that footage, 
would I be right in thinking that this is a you'd prefer to be hit by a mobile phone today than you would do <laughs> back in 1995? Yes. Whatever yes. that was, walkie-talkie or you call it the no, mobile, no. the cell phone. No, it he was hit him. He hit him with the mobile over there. It head. was much yeah. bigger. That's it. Much bigger in the 90s. Yeah. That's correct. Cumbersome, damaging. Uh, and that Even was an, an entourage member damage, that, so. hey, he went to jail for assault uh, for having done that because they had him right on video uh, that night. So, man, crazy, crazy scene to go back and relive on YouTube. We actually put something up on the Big Fight Weekend website to commemorate it as well that has the YouTube link. Uh, I still remember this uh, from the from the ratings standpoint. Uh, they were able to track this through home box office or HBO that was televising the fight live. And David, I'm not even sure if a, if a UK broadcaster or a European broadcaster had the fight live or on delay, or if you simply got the HBO broadcast there or at some point, but in any event, the HBO broadcast, of the fight, I want to say maybe had 7 million people tune in something like that in the U S the brawl because of how long it took the audience spiked to like 15 or 20 million because the word was getting out everywhere. You have got to turn this on because yeah. we have a full on uh, bad riot. B movie riot going on in the ring at Madison square garden. And uh, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's scary. And George Foreman's in the middle of it, trying to stop people from getting in the ring. And he's live on the air saying, don't do it, son. No, don't do it. Get back. He's trying to hold people back. He's trying to protect his HBO broadcast team that's right beside him because people are pouring over the top of him. It is some crazy scene. It's a, sh it's a shame that that's what we know it more for. It's also scary that that was 26 years ago at the time that we're releasing it, this. 26 years ago that that, uh, that, that all went I wish, on. I wish those two guys, well, you mentioned three. But I wish those two guys were around now. I'd love to see what even Galotta would make of some of the guys he could encounter today. I think he'd be yeah. a real force. But unfortunately, that night, it was downhill after that. And he was actually beating him in the rematch fight five months later and fouled him over and over again, almost like a, a bad nightmare sequel. Well, yeah, the whole thing. It's hard what was going on? What was going through his head? I'm winning this fight. I've got him on the end of the jab. I'm smashing him when he comes inside. Let's hit him in the nuts again. I, th I think he got to the point where Bo wouldn't relent, Bo wouldn't quit, Bo kept fighting. And I think Galata just got to a point where I've thrown my best, he should be out of this. And then he just popped some of it. Uh, yeah, all those are good things. Sean and I'll pick up on this point. Uh, David Payne, I always love your insight. Keep up the great work on boxingwriter.co.uk. Love your insight there on the site. Anything else here? I will. I promise I pledge to you. We'll have you back before Usyk Joshua, the rematch coming up either here with Sean or on the big fight weekend preview. One of the two. Um, I'm still, I'm still concerned that are we going to get there? Are we going to get to August the 20th without any problems, hiccups, geopolitics, problems that can happen before the fight COVID-19 that we've seen rear injury that we can, I don't want any of that to happen. Can we get there? Can we get there to the 20th? We'll see. But anything else in closing, David Payne? Uh, well, I hope we do get to Joshua Usyk. That feels like a very necessary fight for both. There's going to be a lot laden on that fight. Um, the fact it's in Saudi Arabia, the whole thing that's going on in the Ukraine, which we can't forget about. Um, it's only a month out now, aren't we? So let's hope. Let's hope that we can get there um, injury-free, problem-free. The other thing I just wanted to throw in, hopefully we'll be talking soon and reminiscing and doing nostalgia about um, Ben and Eubank. 
which appears to be close to being uh, signed up at a 155 uh, weight, which I didn't think would happen. I didn't think Ben would come up that far, but hey-ho. Um, that will be interesting for lots of weird nostalgic Absolutely. reasons. Um, so we can shout about that in the future. Not Sean's weight division, of course, but I'm sure he'll, uh, he'll, sure he'll, be, I'm sure he'll be tuning in. It'll be a heavyweight contest for the British public, at least. Yeah, be in the, in the figurative sense for sure. David Payne, thank you. I always love your insight. Appreciate you joining us. Great to be here. Good to meet you, Sean. Take care. Love that man. Love his insight. And, Sean, right. you got a peek at he has uh, the photo in the background at his domicile at his man cave in England of Rocky Marciano absolutely eradicating Jersey Joe Walcott with that big right hand in 1952. So you admire the man. The man went up five bonus points just when you saw that photo. Am I right? As the top heavyweights guy. It's, it's, it's a classic photo. It's the, it's the, it's the ultimate right hand punch and it's, Oh, it's a classic. And that is the beginning of Rocky Marciano's time at the top of the heavyweight division. And uh, it's, it's just, it's, it's better than uh, any description can give it. Let's put it yeah. that way. I think it's it incredible. was certainly a heck of a punch. Okay, speaking of nostalgia, we already alluded to it with David about Bo and Galata. Sean gives you this time period in heavyweight history. This time in heavyweight boxing history, July 18th, 1951, Forbes Field in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, USA, on his fifth try, Jersey Joe Walcott, becomes at the time the oldest man to win the heavyweight championship of the world at 38 by knocking out defending champion Ezra Charles in the seventh round. He would go on to defend the title one time against the aforementioned Charles, but lose it in his second defense against Rocky Marciano. July 11th, 1996, Madison Square Garden, New York City. HBO Boxing presents Big Daddy's Home, Riddick, Big Daddy Bo, the world's number one consensus heavyweight, was taking an easy mark, at least as far as Bo was concerned, against Andrew Galata from Poland. Galata turned out to be far more than Bo could have expected as he dominated the bout all the way through. Bo had his moments, but Galata was controlling him with the jab, but incredibly couldn't stop hitting Bo low and was disqualified in the seventh round. As Galata made his way back to his corner, one of... Riddick Bowe's entourage approached him from behind and hit him over the back of the head with a cell phone. This led to an in-ring scuffle which incredibly led to a riot and fights throughout the arena. Several arrests were made. It was a black eye for boxing. So, uh, first of all, before we get back to Bo and Galata, that was a hellacious punch by Jersey Joe Walcott, all-timer against Ezra Charles. Uh, the uppercut that made him heavyweight champion, a one-punch essential wipeout of Ezra Charles that at 37 years and some odd months, Walcott became heavyweight champion, Sean. Great timing, years and years of frustration. He put it all together. The way he came forward, you could just tell that that punch was in his mind as he made the steps. He landed it perfectly. There was no recovery for Ezra Charles. And uh, for Jersey Joe, you couldn't be happier for the guy uh, it was something. It was. I got. I got something for you too. We may have talked about this. I think a couple of weeks ago. I'm trying to remember if you and I talked about it. Refresh me, or if Dan Rayfield and I talked about it in and around uh, the Michael Spinks anniversary with uh, Mike Tyson. I think you and I talked about it that Spinks had fought Jerry Cooney, mm -hmm. and Michael, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, uh, Spinks. Spinks had fought. Um, I'm trying to remember. 
yes, Spinks fought Jerry Cooney. And we were talking, I think, in the vein of Cooney fighting Larry Holmes and about how Cooney was best known, unfortunately, for being the guy that lost the three most important fights of his career to Larry Holmes, to Michael Spinks, and to George Foreman. And the point that I promise I'm coming to is when Foreman fought Cooney, he mimicked Jersey Joe Walcott's knockout of who? Of Ezra Charles, because he took the little jab step to get Cooney going one way and get him coming towards a right uppercut that wham, Cooney didn't see coming, got leveled the same way Ezra Charles did. So I bookend a George Foreman knockout similar, if not almost identical, to Jersey Joe winning the heavyweight title in 1951. I'd never heard that before, but it clicks. It's exactly right. Uh, he did exactly that, and then he followed up with a right hand to punctuate it. Uh, no, that that was the one-two step where you turn one way, you shoot it the other way. And, uh, <laughs> and I, to be fair to uh, Jerry Cooney, though, he was in rougher shape when he took that punch than Ezra Charles was when he took it. Ezra Charles got caught cold coming in, whereas I think Jerry Cooney was staggering out of the corner after being dropped, and it was... That was a free shot for George Foreman. I don't think Cooney was in any condition to continue, even when the. Uh, but yeah, he amazing, did, amazing he, he uh, that it was mimicked all those years later. And, and fascinating for you, just on the nostalgia. Before we get back to Bo and Galata yeah. one more time, is that was the third time that Walcott and Charles fought. Charles had beaten him twice before, including, right. uh, including uh, having beaten him by decision like a year or two before. So Walcott got the knockout, and then Walcott's only title defense, Sean from TopHeavyweights.com, against? A rematch, again, or I should say a fourth match with Ezra Charles. He, <laughs> later in the year, they had another, I don't know if they were short of heavyweights back then, or if these two were under exclusive contract to someone, or who knows what was going on. But uh, no, Jersey Joe defended the title with a 15-round decision later in the year, and he would go on the next year to lose the title on that famous punch by Rocky Marciano. Yes, indeed. All right, so good nostalgia there. Now I want some more follow-up from you because Dave and I already talked about it. You touched on it a little bit. More on the aftermath of Bo Galata. And obviously, let's bring it back to a serious point. Ring security, uh, ringside security has obviously had to get a, a gotten had to have gotten a lot better and has over the course of the last quarter century, as I say, 25 years, three decades. Yeah. Uh, just for a lot of reasons, including that mayhem that night at the Garden after the DQ. Yeah, I don't know if you could have had enough security uh, for that kind of mayhem. I think there was literally a, a flurry of, of battles going on between people outside the ring, inside the ring, to the tune of thousands of people. And I don't know if there's enough security on the ground for that. I mean, people literally, and I think it was a combination of intense fans from both sides. And... Uh, it's ironic that uh, Riddick Bowe's fans were angry because the disqualification actually saved him in terms of taking a defeat. But I think it was seen as a, a mugging, how it's, uh, you know, they just saw it as their guy's been mugged and perhaps mugged illegally. And uh, obviously the Polish fans... Well, you had a lot of mixture. Everybody. Alcohol, obviously, yeah. uh, plays a role. Inebriated people that are hyped up in and around the arena and, and or jumping in the ring. Yeah. You have emotion flying there because they believe Bo's being fouled. They want to stand up for it. But where, again, is any security, NYPD, something to keep people out of the ring or try to keep some of the peace in the ring? Because there's literally, when you go back and watch that video, there's literally 50 people in the ring. I'm not yeah, exaggerating. The place I don't know how the ring a, didn't collapse with that many a, people that it poured uh, in. 
It was out of control. I mean, it's um, it's it was a it was a combination of circumstances that nobody could have anticipated. Well, maybe they could have. Who knows? And certainly, we've gotten better at that with security and oh, yeah. and with what happens. Uh, in the ring. You know what I'm reminiscing on because we covered this as well on TopHeavyweights.com and in the time period uh, back on a previous show or two ago, on the night of the Mike Tyson-Evander Holyfield rematch, the Bite Night rematch June 1997, when Tyson began to flip out, he had been disqualified, he was upset, they had a wall, like the Great Wall of China, except it was the Great Wall of the MGM Grand of security and Las Vegas police officers, et cetera, that formed a diagonal wall to essentially keep his side, his entourage, hangers on and Tyson away from Holyfield and his entourage. I mean, I vividly, you go back and watch the video. I vividly remember that. And that's learning the previous year from Bo and Galata. We're not going to let that happen here in Las Vegas. Sean, your thought on that real quick? Yeah, when there's troublemakers around, um, you better have more security. I mean, I suppose if it was... uh, Otto Valin against Joe Joyce security would probably not be required. (laughs) A good line from you uh, on that. I think we have pretty well covered almost everything. Anything else that we've left out schedule wise or something else that you want to go over? We've done the nostalgia. We've done the Chisora win. Anything else, young man on top heavyweights? The podcast. I think think we're great. It's a quiet month. We're looking forward to Adam Kovnaki trying to make it back onto the big stage. Well, he's going to be on the big stage, but he's going to try to make it back into top 20 contention uh, by facing Ali Aaron Demeregian. It's a it's a compelling fight. It's under the radar, but that's the next big, big thing. And obviously there's a lot more coming in August. We look forward to all of that. My thanks also to David Payne. Stayed up late with us to jump on the podcast with a five hour time difference from Sean and Mai's time zone. Uh, to give us some wisdom here as we release topheavyweights.com, the podcast. Again, find David, boxingwriter.co.uk. Read up more with Sean, topheavyweights.com. We love the insight there. Follow or subscribe on this podcast feed, kids, the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed, because you'll get top heavyweights automatically. You'll get a notification. You'll get a light, a ding, a vibrate, or whatever, that there's a new episode as soon as it is out. Uh, We would love for you to do that. And um, and with that, I think we're good. Sean, I appreciate it. I, I loved getting the three-way conversation going with David. He's a great guy. We're all three around the same age, contemporaries, nostalgia. We love the history of the sport and heavyweight boxing. And that's what it's all about, right, my friend? One more time. Well, it's a good way to get into the sport. It's a quiet time, but there's good stuff coming. And when it's put together, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, I think it's, it was a great show. Thanks, TJ. Always a pleasure. Always love being with Sean. Thanks again one more time to David Payne. Again, we're done for now. Read up at topheavyweights.com, bigfightweekend.com on whatever's up with the heavyweight division. We're back soon with another edition of the topheavyweights.com podcast.